Welcome to Radio Free Culture from WFMU, where we examine issues at the intersection of digital media and the arts. My name is Cheyenne Homan, and in this episode, we'll be talking with Bob George, the director of the Archive of Contemporary Music in New York City, about its collections and a new partnership with the Internet Archive. My name is Bob George, and I'm the director of the Archive of Contemporary Music and one of its founders. And the Archive of Contemporary Music began... 30 years ago, to, in order to save two copies of every recording issued in the world. So it was a rather modest idea. Um, and we basically did it out of a small loft in lower Manhattan, which has now become Tribeca. And since then, it's grown um, quite large to be uh, probably, although we can't really tell, the largest popular music collection in the world with over two and a half million sound recordings. Wow, so you've been collecting um, all formats since then? All formats, and as new ones emerged, we were sort of taken um, by surprise with the advent of um, the CD. Um, We were prepared for 8-tracks and cylinder discs and 78s and LPs. Then around 1985, these started to leak in, and now they're starting to completely disappear. So we're now trying to... um, master and understand digitized uh, copies and how to collect them best. And I think that the m- most recent times uh, will be the hardest to capture, actually. Yeah, I know that a lot of archives are struggling with the digital and born digital technology that's floating around now. It's not really locked down yet. <laughs> and it's just that, uh, you know, the, all the devices that people save things on won't be around very long if history proves um, consistent. So one of our new jobs, and one thing I've just taken on, is to become curator of sound collections at the Internet Archive. And I'm sure people are probably most familiar with the Internet Archive through the Wayback Machine. And the Wayback Machine basically takes snapshots of websites as they occur. And the um, Internet Archive is really quite an amazing organization that um, they're probably the world's largest collection of uh, web-based material and digital material. After Google, they scan the most books anywhere in the world. They've been helping to build the library at Alexandria. They literally try to save the Internet itself, and they offer offer glimpses of that through the Wayback Machine. Um, I think it's like, what do they say? I think they claim four... 156 billion web pages have been saved so far. That's incredible. Yeah, the work that they're doing is is so um, important, I think, to catch so much of these things that are rather ephemeral. I think a lot of, especially web design layouts and um, some of those formats are, are just completely yeah. gone. I think as magazine content and magazine ads disappear more and more, the only way you'll be able to understand design concepts of the late 20th century, early 21st century, will probably be through a great deal of this content that's been preserved through web captures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know that Google is actually phasing out its book scanning operation, so I'm glad the Internet Archive is there in its place to kind of pick up the slack. Yeah, I think that one thing that's interested me and why we wanted to partner with them, and I think why they were interested in us, is that 
we don't we're not really too concerned about the commercial aspects of it all and that if this doesn't prove to be um, the smartest best commercial thing to do we're just going to stop I think we're nuts I think we're just going to do it no matter what um, because we think it's important and um, you know there's like now they've brought in like 340 partners I think from colleges and libraries and universities and historical societies and uh, even the federal government, museums, arts uh, libraries, public libraries, county libraries even, and basically trying to make sure that there is a public record. Well, tell me a little bit about um, the facility. Well, here in New York, what we have, and uh, we're in Tribeca, and that's uh, when I first moved here, it was called Calc Hook and Washington Market. And then they developed a real estate name called Tribeca, and um, it's become incredibly pricey, and we're, our facility may not be here very long. We're not really sure. Um, things are really skyrocketing and changing here in New York, as I'm sure they are in a lot of bigger cities in America. Um, what we do is basically have about 8,500 square feet here, and it's ground floor space. And it's just uh, racks and racks of uh, sound recordings. Primarily the LPs are kept upstairs, and a sorting room is kept upstairs, and then um, 7-inch 45, 78s, um, 12-inch dance recordings, and CDs are kept in the basement. Um, to make more space, we're going to be moving all of the CDs, about 350,000 of those CDs, out to San Francisco, where we'll begin um, a more massive um, digitizing project than we've had going on previously. And the goal there is to do something that very few other um, commercial or academic sites are doing to digitize the front card, the rear card, and the booklets that go with the CD and also the surface of the CD. So that people, you know, now if you lose the casing, sometimes you don't know what CD you have. And so one of the things we'll try to do is to make sure that um, these things don't become coasters that people really have an idea of um, what was on them and all the, you know, the, at least the earlier ones had incredible booklets and um, it's becoming rarer and rarer to have the scholarship to go along with the sound recordings. Yeah, I think that the digital or the digitization of, of music has sort of created that like steamed off label of the LP phenomenon <laughs> where like sometimes you don't have any metadata, you don't know what it is, it, you just know that it's a song. And there's some tools like that can identify tracks, but without that sort of visual context, I think can be really um, jarring. <laughs> to just... and, and there's also just identifying albums, because like, let's say classic Stones or Beatles albums, they are different. They may have the same title, but they're different covers in different territories, and they're different song orders, or even different songs are on the sound recording, but it's got the same title. Mm -hmm. And so when you're dealing with that's what you have is the shift towards the song being disassociated from a particular body of work, which would be an album. And that becomes a little more problematic in terms of understanding the context of the music and how it works together when you're constantly just buying songs. I mean, it's sort of like Sgt. Pepper's when you start to separate things out, they don't maybe have the same resonance as they would be all run together. And they've found that Rolling Stone albums at the time were also cut to be in one piece and not to be separated out into songs. But that was something the record company did, and now they're putting them back together for CD reissues. So there's a lot of uh, problems that come when you just deal with the song. You don't know if that's where that song is sourced from. 
it might be from a, a variety of different albums. Um, and it becomes a little bit harder to understand exactly what happened in the history of popular music. Yeah, so we've been talking a bit about popular music, but um, do you also collect other genres? What's the span? Well, popular music for us is everything that isn't classical. And so that makes it, and the reason we called it the Archive of Contemporary Music, because we knew there was a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame starting up about the same time in 1985. And we wanted to, um, even though that somewhat implies that it's a contemporary classical, we wanted to just make sure that we would collect whatever is coming out in whatever format and whatever genre. So yes, we collect everything except what you would call um, Western art music from the classical era, which would be roughly from our Revolutionary War to our Civil War. So you can put it in that context and keep it quite easy. But of course, we're going to collect things that come later um, and are experimental. Phil Glass, Steve Reich, Allen Ginsberg, Lamont Young, anybody who's working in it, some John Adams, any classical vein that is modern classical. We just don't want to do Bach and Beethoven and the things that we think other libraries do quite well. Yeah, so is it primarily Western music? Um, it is primarily because we're here, um, but there's the collections of um, music from other cultures are really strong. We have been focusing, uh, our, our really uh, only public outreach project has been for creating music weeks where we concentrate on the music of a particular culture or genre. And so far we've covered Islamic music, Brazilian music, and Indian, Asian Indian music. And then next year we'll focus on Cuban music. So we use those very large focused web pages that bring together people from all over the world who have an association with that kind of music, either as a scholar or as a performer or as a label and um, try to get free downloads for people that are legal, try to get as much academic information as we can, try to get as many fun things as we can. And so, yes, this, those collections are really, really strong. And we had a donation of um, 25,000 Brazilian records donated to us because of us doing this page. Wow. Um, so do you accept donations from anyone or... How yes, we work? are. We say we're like Molly Bloom. We just say yes, yes, yes. And I think that's how we've managed to become so very large. We found that a lot of institutions, even ones that we offer extra recordings for, just really don't want to bother to pick them up or go after them or are really that interested because they always cite space as a major problem or they believe that they have all that they need. So, yeah, we'll, we really, anything except classical. And we're starting to think phase out accepting um, 70s, 80s, and 90s releases on LP because we've pretty much got everything. And that's a little bit of hubris, but it is getting to be quite true. What would you say are some of the highlights to you of the collection? Gosh, it like um, <laughs> it's really hard. Again, we're dealing with millions of things. Right. Um, we've, I've been putting aside things that I really like that are signed. We have about... Um, 2,500 signed recordings. So we'll have, um, and what's nice about, I mean, the archive is important, I think, not because we have so many very rare things, but because we have almost everything, or we try to. Um, but we have a, a Keith Richards endows a blues collection here, and we have a really wonderful um, 78 of Robert Johnson, Me and the Devil Blues, 
which is one of possibly 10 only copies surviving. Wow. And that's one of the few really rare things that we'll have. Um, and we have some a lot of drawings by artists and things. Like we have the original drawing of Laurie Anderson's O Superman, which is nice because and that's a record that I put out on the label when I was a kid. Um, and we have a lot of things that are signed, like I said, by the artists. So we'll have the first Rolling Stones album with the poster in it and signed by the whole band. We have early Hendrix recording signed by the whole band and Cream and Queen and Bob Marley's Catch a Fire signed by the band and Dave Clark Five and Bob Dylan and um, Bobby De Niro doing Taxi Driver and uh, not only do they make the recording, but they, you know, actually were handling it. I think that's interesting to a lot of people. Yeah. So how can people use the archive? It's primarily a re- research organization for the industry. Because of the problem that n- no, uh, almost any sound recording is available freely over the internet, although YouTube is sort of solving that problem, um, it makes it a big problem because of our copyright laws. So what we've done is out in San Francisco at the Internet Archive, uh, we have a couple listening stations there, which are just on iPads, and we have a million albums that you can listen to, but you have to go to that space to do it. Wow. And the second way that we do it is through these music weeks, where a lot of people can participate. And then we have a record sale twice a year where people can get stuff that we have extra copies of. And then we do research. So we do a lot of research for films, and we do research for people searching for who owns the rights to something. So we do a lot of publishing rights and mechanical rights. And then we do things for artists who've lost recordings. So they need to find stuff that they've produced but they can no longer get a copy of or missed having one when they were actually in their prime. So older artists often come for us to hear their own stuff. Wow. How long have you been partnered with the Internet Archive? Oh, about 12 hours. So I'll be going out there for three weeks to sort of learn the ropes of how they work and how we can integrate our two organizations. Basically, the the main job will be to let people know in the audio world, they've done a pretty good job of letting people know in the library world and the book world about what they do and what they can do. And our job would be to try to integrate a lot of the smaller labels and radio stations and offer opportunities for people to get their material digitized without having to go through a lot of hassle. The first project we're going to work on with is we've just started uh, to digitize the book collection at Afropop. Afropop is an NPR-distributed radio show. and I'm sorry, PRI, sorry, PRI-distributed radio show. And we'll start by digitizing all of their books and making them OCR-readable so that they can do research within their own collection without having to go through book by book and index by index. This will allow them to you know, look across all of the books that they have. So we'll start with about um, four or 500 of those books and then um, if they like what we do, and it, it we'll move on to DATs and to cassettes that they have, just um, boxes and boxes of this material that right now is an unusable format or a fugitive format like the DATs. Their uh, audio files and engineers are very concerned that the DAT medium is not very stable. And so we hope to get that all digitized for them also. Yeah, there are a lot of formats that I think are at risk for (laughs) deterioration. Yeah, if we had money, we'd take every CD and make an LP out of it. (laughs) Because we know they they last at least 60 years, and 
the information may get dirty, but it never gets lost. Yeah, I feel like and they're like the books of the music medium. Exactly. <laughs> and they're mechanical, right? Yeah. That's why, you know, when they sent that record out into space, they I mean, when they sent music out into space, they sent it out as a disc. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they figure whoever finds it's going to have at least two hands and be able to figure it out. And I think, you know, it's very hard for someone to figure out how to make a silicone chip or to play back a digital mechanism. And nor will we know how to deal with it in the very near future. Yeah, so. I think these players, you know, are breaking. The, the formats are changing. And uh, just even trying to replay an old cassette tape at this point can be a, a challenge. Um, so, Yeah, and we have to stop. I, I'm, I'm advocating everybody says that these are problems and not challenges. We're trying to get people to stop using the word challenge. <laughs> They're just a mess. It's a big problem. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're trying to address it as best we can. But it is really true. The format, the, the people in technology's job is to move things forward as fast as possible. It's difficult for everybody to keep up. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to keep old technology usable. Um, a lot of libraries are not moving forward with migration and digitization because it's an undertaking that's impossible to finish before a new technology would make the old one difficult or obsolete. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so we're yeah. just faced with a, you know, like I said, I, I think this will be a very undocumented time, even though everybody takes photos, nobody prints them, mm-hmm. people lose their iPhone, they lose the system, they go on to another system. Um, it's not like finding a pile of old Kodachrome or old faded, slightly reddish photographs from the 50s. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be um, a bit of a problem for people in the future that we're sort of going to uh, lose a little bit of our past. Even though it's spread out so in so many places, it may not be so understandable in terms of a personal history or a family history. That's true. I think even with efforts like the Internet Archive, who I applaud for being so ambitious and taking on so many different formats and and uh, trying to figure out ways to make those accessible and, and stable, um, I think a lot of the context is going to be lost without the metadata for like, oh, this is from so-and-so's collection or this is from this record label. or Right. That's what we're trying to, we hope we can help. I mean, that's, I think, why they're interested in having this kind of input is that we like you can go to the the cover page cover art pages at the internet archive but there's um no information about which album or even the format that it is so that's hopefully kind of content that we can add to it mm-hmm. and you know their their job you know is impossible and the, and they're doing it um when the government won't and cultural institutions won't so we have to bring to it the attitude that at least there's a real sincere try to get it put into some sort of context. And of course, you know, what we're doing is what the best we can for right now and try to imagine being able to access anything in 5,000 years. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, basically, what do we see? The pyramids. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, and that's, I think, um, that's the reality, but that doesn't stop you from working towards perhaps changing it. Right. Well, you have to try. Um, <laughs> the, and yeah. it's crazy enough and fun enough, I think, to try. Absolutely. Um, and we're really, like I said, it's really exciting because it, get, it, allows, it gives us tools and access and abilities 
that we would never have just being a preservation organization because it's, I think one of the great things about the Internet Archive is it moves from the idea of preservation to access and with an enormous amount of content and without always belly aching about they can't do it because it's too hard or it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really attractive for me. Yeah, I think that they're going to be very instrumental in moving forward with digitization and sort of access issues that we're going to be facing in the future. Um, and speaking of the future, what's what's sort of next for the the archive? Well, we're trying, we're, we're preparing that if we have to move, so we're pulling a lot of extraneous copies and things we don't need. We're going to either uh, give them away, sell them, try, we try to trade with other libraries. Our big project now is everybody's trying to prune the collection mm -hmm. and make sure that we have the best copy of whatever we have. Um, then I think a main thing we'll be giving talks about our partnership with the Internet Archive around the world and trying to um, look at some at-risk places that might have collections that if they could be digitized, they would actually use the music. Um, I encountered this in Jordan where I went uh, along as a part of a group to when we started the Muslim World Music Days and we found a great many radio stations that had wonderful collections of music, all on vinyl format, 7-inch and 12-inch, and basically they never played the material. So one of the goals would be to bring this here or have it done on site, to have it digitized so that there could be access to this incredible treasure trove of older material. We saw most radio stations didn't have a, a record library at all. They mm -hmm. pulled everything they played off of the internet or paid for it from a service. Wow. So more and more difficult to hear music from the region. And then there were a lot of pirated things. But the, the big surprise was that they weren't maintaining much of a record library at all. And everything was being done via a digital uh, download or theft. Wow. And these are major radio stations. So it's quite interesting that how what people need to do to survive um, and to make it easy and to work on a shoestring budget. And also in countries that are, you know, have great, great problems with insurgencies and secession and all these different problems that are plaguing a great many places in the Middle East and in Africa. So that's why we were so interested in working with the Afropop people, because they have managed to accumulate so much stuff. And they're also clear that they don't want it dispersed. I mean, what the biggest problem we face is that people who have really great collections because of economic necessity have to get rid of them. And they sell them, and they don't keep them together. They've spent their life pulling together this wonderful, incredible stuff, and then they're forced to literally sell it as opposed to keep it together and under their name. I mean, that's something we can't argue against because it's just reality. But, you know, we hope that more and more people um, realize that keeping it together and then you could still have access to it might be a better alternative. I think that's all the questions that I had for you, unless you have something else that you'd like to add, um, perhaps about if people would like to get involved in the project or learn more. Yeah, we could say you could. It's funny. I think I first met Brewster Kale, who runs the Internet Archive, because we wanted to use the name archive.org, and he already had it. 
And so ours is arcmusic.org. So he's, uh, you know, www.archive.org and we're arcmusic.org. And you can go to any of these, either of these websites and you'll find an enormous amount of stuff. We're a little more focused and have actual stories and blogs and galleries that are only drawn from our physical collection. And they, of course, embrace the collections of thousands and thousands of people all over the world. And um, little by little, they're putting it and whipping it into a much better shape than it's been. I've seen it grow and mature uh, tremendously over the last five or six years. So, yes, we're, we're primarily interested, again, first in preservation and secondarily in access and making sure that a great deal of the world's music doesn't disappear and of course, we're not the only people doing this, but we're one of them. And we'd like to be considered as a place that people would consider donating materials to. That's great. So yeah, I think that your project is super cool. I'd like to thank you for joining me this afternoon. And I hope come visit. You haven't been down here. Yeah, I, I actually walked past it the other day. And I was like, oh, I've been meaning to email those guys. Just knock on the door. <laughs> if somebody's here, you know, we never sleep. Okay. okay? <laughs> All right, yeah, I'll, I'll pop over. Um yeah, and you all are welcome anytime, of course, to come to FMU. Yeah, I um, used to do a, a show every once in a while with Rob. Um, what can I say? This has been fun. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Thank you so much. I'll be in touch via email. Thank you. All right. Thanks so Bye. much. Bye. Radio Free Culture is produced by WFMU and the Free Music Archive and is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. Our theme song this week is The Spider-Man's Nano Loop by Uncle Bibby and can be found at freemusicarchive.org. For more information about the Archive of Contemporary Music, please visit archmusic.org.